this is a bit of a gear shift for this morning. This is like, this is the first time I've kind of gone from being on the worship team to preaching. I need a second. Okay? So what I'm going to ask you guys to do is join with me in taking a sec to pause and to breathe and on your own in the space that I give you here uh, to ask that the Lord would speak. I'll confess to you it's a familiar passage. It's one most of us have read several times. I'm not sure how kind of into it we've got it. We might, have, we might be uncomfortable with it, but whatever it is, God has something to say to us. So let's take a second to pause and ask that the Lord would do that, that he would speak. Abba Father, the God who is near, the God who is our shelter, the God that we can hide in, you are our refuge and you are our strength. God, as we are here this morning, would we rest in the shadow of the Almighty? Would your presence overwhelm us? Would your presence, would your spirit at work in us communicate powerfully to us? God, prepare us for what it is that you have to say. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you have spoken to us for so long, and thank you for those new and fresh understandings that you give us of those things that, um, that we want to know. God, our desire is that we would follow you faithfully. Our desire is that we would be faithful, that we would be obedient, that we would hear you, that we would do nothing out of obligation, but we would do it out of love for you. God, we want to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn your attention to the screen behind me, I'm going to um, read through the passage for the morning. And it's from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I've had this uh, sermon and this text on my radar for the last little while. It's been a few months uh, kind of knowing we were going to be looking at this text and that I'd be preaching on it. Um, And as we've moved into this series called The Way of Love, um, we've been talking about what it means to imitate God. And our, our imitation of God is rooted in our identity in God. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And that makes a whole lot of sense for me as we work through Ephesians 5 in the first part of chapter 6 where it's about being filled with the Spirit and it is about demonstrating these attributes of God and the attitude we have with one another, whether we're husbands, wives, children, fathers, slaves, masters, whatever it is, we're supposed to embody that. I can get on board there. It seems to turn really sharply then and move into this spiritual battle fight armor kind of text. And I've kind of wondered how that was going to go, what the connection was there. But as I did my study over the course of the week, this is actually a continuation of that call to be an imitator of God. You see, in Isaiah 59, Isaiah paints this picture of a place where evil reigns, where there's no justice, 
And there's no one to stand up against the injustice. There's no, there's no one to stand up against the evil one or the evil that's happening around them. And so the Lord takes the helmet of salvation and puts it on and the breastplate of righteousness and he goes and he brings about salvation. He brings about righteousness. He brings about justice. And the people are able to then respond in praise. Paul takes that Old Testament image from Isaiah 59 and he blends it with what would have been a current cultural reality for the church in Ephesus. He'd be looking at the armor of a first century Roman legionnaire. That's what Paul describes here. Wearing the armor and doing battle is a way for us to imitate God. I've always looked at the armor of God through my whole life as a really linear thing, looking at it piece by piece. But the reality is, when we wear the armor of God, we're supposed to be identifiable as the army of God. And when you look throughout history, you can tell when and where a person is from by the armor they're wearing. That's the same thing for us. When we put the armor of God on, we're intended to be identifiable as his people. This passage shows us the things that we fight for. It shows us how we're supposed to fight and why we fight has everything to do with imitating God and rooting ourselves in our identity as his people and his children. So we're going to go verse by verse. So the first one says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is the kind of statement you hear throughout the Old Testament. When Israel is about to move into something new, when, there's, when there is a new land to conquer or a new king coming into place, there's a new opportunity, a new, responsible, new responsibility being placed on someone, you hear this charge to be strong and courageous. That's what Paul is reminding them and pointing them back to with this. Finally, be strong in the Lord, but not in your own strength. Be strong in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the, uh, the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God, not just select items here. Put on the whole thing. There's a couple of things I want to call your attention to. Um, one is that if you read this, if you hear this, if, if you feel like this text is written to you, you are a warrior. And there's two people who probably believe that better than you. One is the enemy. And he's got schemes. He is working against you to keep you from recognizing that. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. The other person who recognizes that in you is the Father. Through Paul, he's calling us to this. You are a warrior. And it reminds me of the story of Gideon. Back in Judges, when the Midianites are in power and they're taking everything away from Israel, they're taking the best of everything, and Israel, or Gideon has some wheat, and he goes and he hides in a wine press to thresh it, to get the good stuff, and he doesn't want the Midianites to know it all. He's hiding, he's cowering, trying to get this done to keep from getting caught. And the angel of the Lord shows up, and he calls the coward hiding in the wine press, mighty warrior, mighty man of valor. Sorry, did I get that right, Andrew? There you go, all right. Mighty man of valor, mighty warrior. God saw Gideon as a mighty warrior way before Gideon did. That's the same thing for us. God sees us that way. We are his people. We are in his army. We wear his armor. The enemy is really interested in keeping you from understanding that identity, to keep you from engaging in the battle. He wants to disrupt your joy. He wants to disrupt your understanding that you belong to God, that you are a part of his force. You are a child of God and you are his. And this armor points you to who you are. I... Uh, 
I was on the treadmill a few months ago, and I was watching Lord of the Rings Return of the King, okay? And I'm going to talk about the movie, and if you get mad at me for spoilers, come on, people, it's been 10 years, okay? I think the statute of limitations on spoiler alerts is gone. Mike Wilson, can I get your approval on this one? Okay, excellent. Okay, as the biggest Lord of the Rings fan here that I know, I feel like I'm okay now. So I will do... Forgive me for the most simplistic recap of Lord of the Rings that I can give you, okay? There's bad people over here trying to get a ring of power, and there's good people over here in Middle-earth, and they're fighting for it. Now, the forces of evil have gotten their power up such that they are going to go and attack one of two main groups in Middle-earth. One is the city of Gondor, a city of men, and there's another group of men called the Rohirrim. They are from, did I get that right? Did I say it correct, Mike? So good. The Rohan, they're the cavalry. They're the horse people. And as they are up on the ledge overlooking Gondor being attacked, the camera pans and you see the army of the Rohirrim there. And one of the soldiers is Eowyn. And she is not supposed to be there because she is a she. And she is in the royal line. And she is hiding. She's cowering. She's not identifying as a member of the army. But as Theoden continues to talk about the importance of what they are about to do, this call to battle to say, rise up, we are the army of Rohan, we are the people, and this is not going to be the day that we fail. And all of a sudden, her face, her countenance changes. She rises up, and she is with them, and they are all cheering, and they are yelling. And I feel like that awakening moment is something for us to recognize that we are the people of God. We are called to battle. And if you continue through the story, you get more spoilers. Um, But she does really important and significant things that only she could do in that battle. The Lord of the Rings, not the Bible. I'm not going there. But I do believe there's a principle here for us. There are unique things that you are equipped, you are called to do by the Father as you go and stand for him. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I really like this distinction that Paul makes here, okay? In English, this says flesh and blood, okay? But Paul flips it in the Greek. He says blood and flesh because there was a belief system out in the day that said all flesh, all humanity was evil. Not the point Paul is trying to make here. In fact, it's quite the opposite. People are not our enemy. The evil at work within this world, absolutely. That's what we stand against. That's what we fight. We don't fight against the people. We fight against the evil. We fight against the injustice. That is what we're called to. We are called to fight against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your enemy is evil, whether it is the evil that exists in the world or evil forces scheming against you as a soldier in the army of God. Over the next couple of weeks, Kevin and Elizabeth are going to unpack sort of the way that we fight. I only have to worry about the armor. So as long as I get that part done, they shouldn't have to hearken back too much to this week. But good luck, guys. Thanks for that. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. The purpose of putting on this armor, what it accomplishes for you and what it facilitates is to help you stand your ground. As the enemy engages with you, it gives you victory to hold your terrain. The picture of battle here is that you would stand. It's not a militant, offensive territory gaining thing, but to stand your ground. When evil comes, when temptations and obstacles and injustice is in front of you, stand. 
equipped by and wearing the armor of God. So that's kind of enough preamble um, about the armor. We're going to now look at what the armor actually is and what difference that can make for us in the way that we live, in the way that we stand, in the way that we fight. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Looking at the kind of armor that Paul reveals here, looking item by item can have some value, but remember, we aren't meant to pick and choose which of these items we put on. We put on the full armor of God. And again, it's kind of suggested by some scholars that Paul was looking up at the guard who was watching over him in Rome, looking at what he was wearing and saying, oh yeah, and writing some some parallels down. This would have been something that he could see where he was in Rome on house arrest and the people reading his letter in Ephesus across the Mediterranean Sea would also have been able to see and identify. They would have been having the exact same frame of reference. The first piece of the armor is the belt of truth. So you had the clothes that you wore underneath your armor, the tunic, which I've never worn one, but you have a tunic, you put it on, and the belt goes and keeps that kind of snug and in place so the armor can fit over it. Then as you brought other pieces of armor into the equation, they actually rooted to the belt. So the belt was the starting point. As the breastplate came on, the breastplate attached to the belt. When you had a sword, it was in the scabbard attached to your belt. We are going to look at these other pieces later, but righteousness on the breastplate and the sword of the spirit, the word of God, these things need to be rooted in truth. Are we wearing the right belt? Is your righteousness and your use of the sword of the spirit rooted in the truth of who God is and who you are as his child? What belt are you wearing? If you wear the wrong belt, it might mean you're identifying with a different army. You have different armor on. Is the truth that you wear around your waist anchoring the rest of your armor? Is it based on your own idea? Is it based on something you're comfortable with? Or is it based on something God has spoken that is true? Is it based on the truth of who God is or who you are as his child? Now, as we combat the schemes of the enemy, we need the truth to hold the rest of our armor together. The enemy loves to distort that. He loves to mess with us. His schemes are to get you holding on to things that are not true, that are not truth. That your righteousness is not tied to the person and work of Jesus or that you don't belong to God. He wants to see what he can convince you of that isn't true. What lies do you believe about who God is? What lies have you come to understand about who you are? Well, these lies, they can disrupt and cause the rest of your armor to fit poorly, to weaken you, to keep you from standing and joining in the battle. The truth is not something that God is trying to hide from you. God is good. He made you. He loves you. You are his, and the privileges and responsibilities and benefits of being a child of the king are yours in Christ. That's the truth. Next comes the breastplate of righteousness, over the head, covering the front of us, protecting the vital organs all in here, and perhaps a little coverage on the back. Your righteousness comes from Christ. We are covered and we are protected from fatal blows and accusations by the righteousness that we have in Christ. 
The scheme of the enemy is to look to cause you to feel like you're all unrighteous on the inside or that your righteousness is placed in the wrong things. Well, the breastplate, the logo, the emblem on the breastplate of righteousness is a cross. That's where your righteousness comes from. What the enemy wants to do is to make you feel like your own righteousness, those good things you have done, your behaviors, the things that you do, somehow cause you to have this righteousness. Or on the other side of it, his scheme is to cause you to feel like your breastplate is far too corrupted or dirtied or weakened or what have you, and it obscures the cross. This is not true. Warrior, you have a breastplate of righteousness. The cross has done it all. You can't get more righteous than that. And when you accept it, when you come to Jesus, you have that. It can't get taken away. You are his. Our strength and our protection is the righteousness of Christ. The cross is there and nothing else brings it to you. Tie your breastplate to the truth. God is good. He loves you. You are his and his spirit, his presence is within you. So belt, breastplate. Next is a bit of a clumsy sentence in English, okay? Because it doesn't really talk about a specific footwear thing, but it says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Got all that? Okay, that's good. The footwear of this generation of the army was kind of known for two things. One, it was strong. It could endure. It could stand up in battle. But it had like cleats, nails coming out of the bottom that gave extra strength when you stood your ground. But it also helped you cross really uncomfortable and difficult terrain really quickly and really well. This footwear set the Roman army and the armies of Alexander the Great apart. This is the, this is the footwear. The gospel of peace is the kind of thing that is going to give us stability and strength as we stand our ground. The gospel of peace is what is supposed to help us cross difficult terrain to go and engage in the battle. It's the gospel of peace that helps us do that. I can't help but wondering, though, if we're wearing different boots than that. Is our gospel the gospel of peace? Or is our gospel the kind of gospel that's going to create a separation or a distance between us? Are we looking for reconciliation? Are we looking for redemption? Or are we picking a fight? We have the gospel of peace over our feet. Are you interested in being comfortable? Or are you interested in being ready? This this footwear, the gospel, should help us to stand our ground. But it should also make us ready to cross uncomfortable and difficult ground if that's where the battle takes us or if that's where the commander sends us. Now take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This shield is important. This shield could protect an individual soldier, but it worked best when the soldiers stood side by side, and their shields would almost interlock. They'd stand behind this portable line, and if any of these shields weakened, the line was vulnerable, it was susceptible. These soldiers were intended to stand side by side and fight. Well, how is that like faith? Well, faith is a thing that we're called to use, and we can put out the fiery arrows of the evil one when he speaks and throws these messages, thoughts, or circumstances, or reactions at us, these fiery darts at our sword. Our faith, our belief that God is good and that God has better helps us to extinguish the fiery darts that come our way. But we're supposed to use this shield together with each other. 
I don't condemn anybody in this place who feels like faith is a thing that they lack. You are welcome here, and I'm glad that you're here, and the Father loves that you're here. If you are somebody wrestling with doubt, if you have reluctance, if you feel like you can't experience the presence of God the same way other people do, or as if you, you can't believe with as much strength or conviction as somebody else, that's okay. Coming to God and owning that is faith. It's believing that there is a better. That's what faith is. That God is good, that he is for you. Call out to God for faith. Confess your unbelief, and the Lord loves that. He is with you, and he will provide you. One of the things he's going to provide for you is the people around you. We can help one another. You may feel that you're short. You're short. Well, not a word. You may feel that your shield or your faith is too weak. Come to Jesus. Confess it, admit it, and tell your fellow soldiers. Trust your fellow soldiers. Stand beside them. Stand with them. Learn from them. Teach them things. This armor shows us that we need one another. Don't let a feeling of weakness drive you away from the battle, away from the rest of the army. We fight together, and we fight better. As we walk together, our faith will grow. The scheme of the enemy is to cause you to feel isolated. The scheme of the enemy is to take you away and cause you to fight on your own. It's to cause you to feel like our differences are deal breakers. To cause us to see how we don't measure up or cause us to feel like other people don't measure up, so we need to separate ourselves. Let us use active faith to believe that we are soldiers of the army of God, redeemed and reconciled as adopted children. So we have the belt. We have the breastplate of righteousness anchored to the truth. We've got the shoes, the boots fitted to help us stand firm, but to cover the ground that we need to as the time arrives. And we have the shield of faith. Everything up till now, the soldier could take themselves. Okay, they could just reach out and grab it and they could put it on. Now, once you had the breastplate and once you had these other things, the helmet is what came next. And you had to receive that from an armor bearer or from somebody else. The sword of the spirit, the words of God, this was something that would have been handed to you also. These two things are gifts from the Father. Salvation, guarding and crowning your head, helping you be easily identified. Probably what most of us think of when we think of a Roman soldier is that big red rooster thingy, which I think is the historically accurate term, right? That comb they wear on the top of their head. Yes, you are picturing this. This is the helmet. This is the thing that identifies you in the army of God, the helmet of salvation, you are saved. You demonstrate that, you display it, and it's for everyone to see. One of the things that I have been challenged by in looking at that is how saved is my mind really? How renewed, how redeemed, how restored is it really? I spend a lot of time and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of moments thinking about things that are not heavenly. And I've been really aware of that. And my prayer has become over the last few weeks, Lord, help me think about the things of heaven. Take these things that aren't away. I don't want to think them. Renew my mind. That's me taking thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ, and asking the Spirit of God to fill my mind with his things. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Now, when the word of God is used here, Okay? It's talking about a bigger picture than just what Scripture is. It's the Rima Word of God. So it could be, it can be understood as the Scriptures God has given us. It can be understood as the Gospel accounts. Okay? It can be understood as the things the Lord has spoken to us to equip us for a moment that line up with those things He's already revealed to us. 
Now, this weapon, this hand weapon, was not actually the most common weapon this, this soldier would have held on to. The most common one would have been the spear. This sword, the word that gets used is gladius, so it's the one that the gladiator in the arena would have used. It was for close hand-to-hand combat. Okay? It was a very short blade. Your enemy had to be imminent. It had to be very close to you in order to be able to use it. A spear was way further away. You had access to people who were not up close and personal. So this sword of the spirit, this word of God, allows us for an up-close defense. And if it needs to be an offensive weapon, it's for close proximity as we speak against evil. But my question is, do we know how to use these weapons? Do we know how to use these tools? One of my uh, guilty pleasure shows I used to watch was, uh, was called The Deadliest Warrior. And what it used to do was take warriors from different cultures and time periods. Ryan, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, he's with me. This is good. Um, it, was, it was this show, and they would run these kind of simulations with experts or people from that culture who would know how to use the weapon, right? And then they would run simulations, and at the end, they would tell you who would have won in a fight between uh, warriors. I, I have bad examples right now in my head. But I remember when the U.S. Special Forces guy showed up, one of the weapons he brought with him was a shovel. I looked at that and thought, really? That's, that's your choice? Like, you have other stuff at your disposal, but you're going to bring a shovel? They said, yeah. Like, it's not sharp or pointy. And then they put it in the hands of the expert. Oh. You should have seen what this guy could do with that. It was no longer a thing for digging holes. Stay out of his way. He knew how to use the weapon. Do we know how to use the words that the Lord has spoken to us? In those moments when we experience temptation, when we are told things that aren't true, do we know how to combat that? Do we know how to use what he's revealed to us in scripture or what he equips us with day to day, what he speaks to us through the worship songs that we know and we hear? Are we training ourselves or are we just hoping to be able to use it when the time comes? You don't use it by picking it up and saying, okay, Lord, speak. That's a great way to find a genealogy. Okay? Thank you. But the thing is, this word of God is supposed to be the kind of thing we are using all the time. We're supposed to be active with it. We're supposed to be using it responsibly. We're supposed to be able to be driving down the road and say, Lord, speak to me, and have something come to mind from his word that we have been interacting with or that we have heard from somebody we've been in conversation with about it. Are we doing that? Are we taking the time to listen? Are we taking the time to hear? Because again, when we look back at the temptation of Christ, Christ defends temptation with Scripture. And then the enemy comes back. Satan uses Scripture to try and tempt Jesus. And Jesus confronts him and says, no, not how it is. Go away, you're wrong. It's not the only instance of temptation that we see in Scripture. The other one, if we look back, At the fall, in the garden, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? He's trying to distort the truth. He's trying to disrupt us from understanding what God said and what God means and who he is. None of this armor works in and of itself. This armor works when it's animated, when it's empowered by the Spirit of God. That's the only way. 
So the call for us, the call in our lives as we look at this text to be the soldiers in the army of God is to stand for righteousness and be clothed in it. Wear the truth around you like a belt. Anchor everything to the truth of who God is and who you are in him. Be identifiable by the steps you take for peace and reconciliation and renewal. Use your faith to extinguish the enemy's attacks and to protect your brothers and sisters beside you. Let salvation be on display and let it be how people recognize you quickly, that you are saved and adopted into the family of God. And what God has spoken to you in whatever way he's done that, act on it. Use it to defend against the enemy's schemes and against the evil that is at work in this world. If we look at our lives, if we look at these descriptions, have we put on the full armor of God? Is there something that you need to put on that you haven't yet put on? Or is there something you need to wear differently? Is it the belt of truth? Is truth what's anchoring your armor, your protection, your identity? The breastplate of righteousness? Is the cross across your chest and on display? Or is it obscured by shame or self-righteousness? What gospel are you standing in? Are you ready to stand your ground? Will you cross tough ground because that's where the commander calls you into battle? Or is it one of peace and reconciliation? Could it be the helmet of salvation? Are you easily identifiable as saved and as one of the king's own? Could it be the sword of the spirit? How has the Lord spoken to you? How is he speaking? And how are you using or training with those words? And are you animated in using these by the power of the spirit? I want us to take some time and to reflect on that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And we're going to take some time and ask that question. Are you wearing the armor of God? Do you want to be? Or do you need to be wearing it differently? We're going to leave that list up. Let's take some moment and wait on the Lord. <laughs>